And we'll read verses 10 and uh, down through verse 12 today. We're picking up where we left off last Sunday. Last Sunday we looked at work and uh, the master-servant relationship. Now Paul, um, Paul talks now about spiritual warfare. So let's start verse 10, just three verses t- today. Out loud, if you would, with me. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have many songs in our hymn book. We, we sing a lot of songs about spiritual war. Uh, we sing... Onward, Christian soldiers. I love that song, number 660 in our hymn book. We, we sing, Am I a soldier of the cross? We sing, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. We sing, Victory in Jesus. We sing, Soldiers of Christ arise. We sing, Keep on the firing line, and the fight is on, and I'm in the Lord's army, right? And why do we sing those songs? Well, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we are in a spiritual conflict. And as a Christian, we do have three battlefronts. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I want to take some time this morning to talk about those three areas of battle in our life that all of us are in. Nobody's exempt from the three areas. And I want to talk a little bit about what we can do by God's grace and through His power, how we can have victory today. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you bless your word. We thank you for it. We thank you for the truth that is here. And it's relevant. It's relevant for our need today. And God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, we need your work here. We need you to to, uh, stir up uh, our hearts, Lord, and our minds. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us today to listen to your spirit. And it's not the words that the preacher is saying as much as it is the the words that the spirit is speaking. And so, Lord, I thank you for these good people, these people who have come uh, with the desire to grow and to learn and to go forward in their walk. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. But I do pray for those that might be here and and they're yet, they're discouraged. They've all but given up. The, uh, The keeping going for the time being, but there might come a time Lord, where they're just thinking, I I just cannot go any further. And God, I pray that you would speak to them, stir them this morning, help them to not quit. And help us all to realize that we are more than conquerors, and greater is he that is in us than uh, he that is in the world. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Because we need, we need power. We're so weak and, 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 and we cannot do anything in our flesh and help us to come to that realization today once again. But that we would come to the throne of grace and would find help and realize that all the power of God to fight the fight and to go forward is found in prayer. I pray that you'd help us today to have 
your message imprinted upon our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The three battlefronts, and you can actually find them if you want in Ephesians chapter 2. It's just a few pages back. We've actually gone over this once before, but we come to it again today. And so Ephesians 2, 2 through 3, if you want to write that in your notes, you can do that. But that's where you'll find the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 John, if you want to hold your place here, 1 John chapter number 2, we find the world. 1 John, uh, the Apostle John talks about the world in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I'll quote it for you. John says, love not, do you know the rest? The world. Love not the world. Now wait, I thought Jesus loves the world. I thought God so loved the world, John 3, 16. It's the same word. But that same word, cosmos, has several different definitions or ways to, to uh, use that word. John 3.16, it's referring to people. Acts 17.24, it's referring to created order. Then here in 1 John 2, the world is referred to as an organized system in rebellion against God. Doesn't that define what's going on in society? An organized system in rebellion against God. And people going against God's created order is this world that he's talking about. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And once again, we're reminded that we're on the winning side, amen? And at the end of the day, with Christ, we are victorious. Praise God. And uh, uh, there are some things, my friend, just go over a few things first here. There are some things that are not appropriate during a church service, but would be fine at other times like having a Nerf war. There are some things that would be completely appropriate in your home, but probably not okay at work, like taking a siesta during the afternoon. There may be some things that may, may not be appropriate in your home, but, but it would be uh, completely okay at church, like wearing shoes. Some people don't like shoes on in their house, but here we appreciate when you wear shoes. You know, if you didn't, we'd still let you come to church. But there are some things that are not appropriate anywhere. And that's the worldly wisdom. There's many things that the world is saying are completely appropriate, but they fly in the face of God's holy word. Worldly wisdom says it's completely appropriate to live together and to not be married to each other. But that goes against the word of God. See, that's the worldly system that's been organized in rebellion against God. See, there's a systematization of this thinking that it's okay to do what feels good as long as you don't hurt anybody. But that's not what the Bible says. 
Worldly wisdom says it is okay to mess around with someone who isn't your spouse if it makes you happy. As long as you're two consenting adults. And I understand that what might be permissible in man's law, we have to realize, is not always according to God's law. My friend, our world is so broken. People are so broken. I'll uh, put an anecdote here. Romans 8.22. We don't have time necessarily to look real close, but just listen. Paul says, For we know that the whole creation, every aspect, even believers, every aspect of God's creation, today the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of pain and hurt in this world. And broken people in a broken world have broken thinking. Worldly wisdom says it's okay to murder unborn babies. You say, wait, pastor, the world doesn't say that. The law says you can abort a fetus. Well, what if the law said it was okay to murder your neighbor? See, that fetus, as the world has rebranded what God calls a baby or a created being, a human being in the image, created in the image of a holy God. And the world has relabeled that beautiful gift from God as a fetus. Which, by the way, if you were to look at the Latin word fetus, it would just be the word baby, but it kind of helps people distance themselves from the harsh reality that they are murdering a human being. But worldly wisdom says it's okay to do that. Well, they don't call it murder, it's abortion. They're aborting. But Psalm 139 not to get too far off topic here today, but I want you to see this. Psalm 139, verse 13. David says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. What he's basically saying in the language there is that you've knit me together, God, in my mother's womb. This verse actually is, uh, these verses are actually so up to date. When they looked back on this after technology advanced and they said, this is DNA right here. This is what it's talking about. I will praise thee for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are their works and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect and in thy book all my members were written. That's where they say, wow, this is talking about the organization of the uh, conception and growth of a human in the womb. The DNA aspect, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! See, my friend, that is a, an egregious sin against God when somebody murders that unborn child. Because God says, I care about life. You know who's all about death? The devil. Satan. So we see worldly wisdom says it's okay to do some of these things, but God says, no, it's, it's a sin. 
Worldly wisdom says it's okay for a man to dress like a woman if he wants to. And if you say anything against it, then you're a bigot homophobe or whatever. It is okay for a man, the world says, to become a woman if he feels like it. It's against God's word. And it's against God's order. We see what the, what the outcome of all of this has produced. More confusion. More anger. And more uh, dissatisfaction. And more sadness and grief and pain. See, my friend, the only, we're not going to have a perfect earth until Jesus rules and reigns, but the only way we'll get anywhere close is if we start to just follow after God's way. See, the world is going against God, and it's not getting any better. Worldly wisdom says it's okay to lie, it's okay to steal and cheat if you need to. After all, everybody else is doing it. See, we use rationale, we use pragmatism in our thinking, but God says there's a definite right and wrong. It is impossible, my friend, to be on God's side on Sunday and on the world's side on Monday. Does worldly thinking, ask yourself, does worldly thinking and the worldly appetites define who you are? How do we overcome these worldly appetites? Go with me, if you would, to 1 John 5. 1 John 5. How do we overcome this broken way of thinking? Some are <clears throat> new to Christianity. They're new to the word and the faith. And you're thinking, how do I, how do I get away from thinking like the unbeliever? He says in 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Amen? For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They seem like they're grievous sometimes. But when you follow God's word, you are blessed. Amen. We see here in verse number four, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the son of God. How do we overcome the worldly thinking, the worldly wisdom and philosophies? We have faith in God and His Word. When the world's wisdom goes contrary to the Bible, although it might be more pragmatic to go this way, it might be in our own, what we think our best interest to go the world's way, but you have to check it with the Word and, and, uh, and, and look at this situation, look at the decision, look at the conundrum through the lens of Scripture and say, is the Bible, is the Bible telling me to go a different way? And my friend, if the Bible goes against the world's thinking, we side with God. That's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, 
The flesh says, do what seems good, what you can see, what you can uh, look at. Whereas faith says, I'm going to follow the Bible even though I don't know what's going to happen. Amen. First Kings, some encouragement for you today. First Kings 18, Elijah, remember, he was there with the 400 prophets of Baal. And he says to the people, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And I like, it's interesting what he writes down. And the people answered him not a word. They couldn't disagree with him, but they didn't want to do what he said. Joshua 24, you can read this whole passage, but Joshua says in verse 14, he says, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, meaning in Egypt. He's saying back before we crossed the Red Sea, back before uh, uh, we advanced to where we are now, you guys had a lineage, you had a heritage of some not serving God. You had some gods over there that you worshipped in Egypt. Now he says, he says, uh, put them away. He says, and serve ye the Lord. He said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. We have to make a choice. We cannot be indecisive. We cannot abstain from making a decision. We have to choose. And choose God. Choose faith. Choose the word over the world. Amen? Number two, we see the flesh. The flesh. Romans 7, Paul talks about the flesh. He says, in my flesh, I believe it's verse 18, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. What, are the, what is the flesh? The physical temptations of the flesh, right? The sinful lust or immoral sensual desires of our body. Not every sensual thing is wrong, but there are immoral sensual Desires that are wrong. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul gives the solution to overcoming the flesh. He says, flee also, to Timothy, he says, flee also youthful lust, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. I'm glad that Paul, uh, well, it was under the divine inspiration of God, but Paul said, don't do something. He said, don't, uh, don't go after the flesh. In fact, he says, flee youthful lust. But he doesn't just stop there. He adds some things to do. He says, seek after these other four things. He says, follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace. I think one of the greatest examples of, of fleeing youthful lust in the Bible is when young Joseph in Egypt was seduced by Potiphar's wife, his master's wife, and she reached out, she took hold of his garment when he fled the scene, and he left his coat with her. And uh, now some people might laugh at Joseph and say, well, you know, he was holy Joe, right? But Joseph was holy and pure, and he maintained his holiness and purity. I remember as a young man listening to a radio broadcast, I think it was probably VCY, but I listened to a lady talk about her daughter and the temptation she faced at school. Her daughter at school, in her public school. Her daughter was keeping herself pure for her future husband. But there was a group of girls in that school. And, uh, and they continually teased her about being a virgin. And after enduring the daily taunting, she finally told these girls, as lovingly and Christ-like as she could, she said to their face, she said, I could be like you if I wanted to, but you can no longer be like me. And I'm keeping myself pure because I want to honor my parents, my future husband, and I want to obey God. 
Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. See, we overcome the world with faith, but we overcome uh, lust in the flesh through fleeing. We don't stick around, you know. Joseph kept his integrity because he didn't negotiate. He didn't fight. He didn't pray about it. There are some Christian counselors who have said maybe, they might have said, well, now, Mrs. Potiphar, let's talk about this situation. You know, we shouldn't act this way. This isn't appropriate. Let's kneel down by the bed and pray about this thing. But Joseph didn't do that. He didn't begin to fight his temptation. We see clearly that he fled. Did it get him into trouble? (laughs) Well, yeah, he got blamed for something he didn't do, but he kept his integrity. He kept his purity, and God ultimately exalted him to a place of prominence and of power in that kingdom, and ultimately the world, as the Bible says, to save the world from that famine. I like what Adrian Rogers says about fleeing youthful lust. He says, saturate that place with your absence. Saturate it with your absence, amen. Let someone else witness to your old high school boyfriend or girlfriend, amen. And many times we're lured to lust through our emotions, maybe some noble idea. We're going to go and help somebody. You know, witnessing for Christ and preaching the gospel is what we're called to do. But if if you are tempted by alcohol, if you were a drunk, you know, let somebody else witness outside the bar. Get out of that situation. Amen. It's okay. It's more noble for us to to not uh, be in those situations where we could be tempted. When temptation comes in the form of viewing, look away. But my friend, if you have a problem, if you have a problem, as the Bible tells us, don't make provision for the flesh. Don't keep falling down and then wondering, why am I still falling down? God gave us a brain God gave us the word, amen. He, got, he gave us the Holy Spirit. I think it was Adrian Rogers, he said that he uh, used to have, when he was in Bible college, he had a saying, I think it was uh, a saying that went like this. He who would not fall down should not walk in slippery places. <laughs> amen. Don't put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted when you don't have to be there. Temptation comes. And it comes in many forms and it comes at different times. And it's usually coming when we're weak. I believe that we need to just depend on the Lord in those situations. But our weakness is not an excuse for failure. Because God will give us the power to overcome anything in our place, in our place of temptation. So we see, number one, the world and the flesh. And then number three today, we see the devil. Now, the devil has many different names. Uh, the enemy, you know, he, he, he's known as the devil, which means accuser. Satan means adversary because Satan is the enemy of God. He's also called the tempter and the murderer and the liar. <clears throat> and uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 compares him to a lion. 2 Corinthians 11, he's compared to an angel of light. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he's the God of this world or the God of this age. Satan was an angel, uh, I believe, named Lucifer, who was cast down because of his pride and desire to occupy God's throne. And God said, you cannot be here in my presence. And he cast him out of heaven. 
and uh, his helpers, Paul calls the principalities, we read about that in, in uh, Ephesians 6, 12, uh, he calls the, the, the devil's helpers, he calls them powers, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. John tells us that a third of heaven's angels fell with Satan, fell with Lucifer. And this definitely suggests that there is an army of demonic creatures that assist Satan as he attacks the believers. It's nothing to trifle with. In Daniel 10, we read that Satan's angels struggle against God's angels for control of the affairs of this, of this world, of the nations. A spiritual battle is going on in this world. And you and I are part of this battle. That's why we sing, onward Christian soldiers marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. And uh, the fight is on. And I've, I've heard that at, as a joke at people's weddings, who were okay with this, I guess, as the bride and groom left the ceremony, the organist would play, the fight is on, you know, that Christian hymn. That's not good, but probably shouldn't have done that. But, you know, we sing those songs for a reason because we're in a spiritual war. And my friend, I want you to understand this morning, one of Satan's tactics in defeating us and getting us to fall down and getting us to fail in our walk is that he tries to convince us that he is not real. He tries to convince us, let me say it again, that he is not real and that we're not in a spiritual battle. See, in other places around the world, I believe that the demonic forces manifest themselves in different ways. They're more open. Demonic activity is more out in the open. Whereas here in the United States, in our sophisticated society and world, the devil is very, uh, he's subtle. He's probably more subtle as the societies are more sophisticated because he has different ways of attacking us. And he doesn't show his hand. He will not telegraph his move to us. And we got to realize that one of his moves, if you would, is trying to convince us that he doesn't exist and that we're not at war with him. In 1939, just before World War II started, Germany and Russia signed the Molotov uh, Pact, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. This treaty promised that neither nation would attack the other. And it laid out a plan for how they would divide the nations of Eastern Europe between them. Yet in 1941, without warning or provocation, Adolf Hitler sent his tanks across the Russian border in a sneak attack. Hitler had no interest in keeping his word. The treaty was meant only as a temporary measure until he could do what he wanted. And the devil will tell us anything we want to hear until he is ready to make his move. He's a master liar. That's what Jesus called him, the, the father of lies in John 8, 44. He doesn't care about you. He might tell you that he cares about you, but he doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He wants to destroy you and me. And he wants to destroy our children. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to do everything he can. 
Revelation chapter 12, I believe it is, tells us that Satan is working overtime because he knows that he doesn't have a lot of time left. Which is a prophecy of how it will be in the tribulation, but I think the same is true now. We see the signs. We see the signs. God is not done yet, but the Lord's coming back. The Lord's coming back. And Satan knows it. He wants us to believe that he doesn't exist and he wants us to believe the Lord's not coming back and there's, he wants us to think there's plenty of time. He wants the believer to think that, but he also wants the unbelievers to think that because there are people that maybe even under the sound of my voice right now that are putting off trusting Jesus Christ because they're listening to the devil who is saying you have plenty of time. Wait till later. Wait till next Sunday. Wait till next month. Wait till next year. My friend, you don't have the next moment. A spiritual battle is underway, and we're too weak spiritually to fight it. We have God, though. Praise God for that. I love where we'll go next week at verse number 13, where he talks about the, the, uh, the spiritual war and armor that we get to wear in this war. As he says in verse 11, he says, put on the, look at it if you would with me. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. My friend, you and I have something to fight with. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. Of verse number 10, I think that it's important to note that before we put on the armor, we've got to read verse 10, though. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, what does he say? Next two words, be strong. Next three words are important. In the Lord and in the power of his might. See, we're too weak spiritually without God. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. And we will be victorious because of Jesus. 1 John, I quoted it before, but I want you to write this down. Memorize this verse. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But don't forget, it's he that is in you, not you. Greater is he that is in you than the devil, than he that is in the world. The God of this age, the God of this world, he doesn't have much time left. But I don't want to be a fatality. I don't want to be taken out by the, by the enemy, amen? Some of you have lived a long time life of service to the Lord Jesus Christ and praise God for that but the devil didn't give up on you he didn't say well you know they're not listening they're never going to listen to me the devil says make that target a little bigger that person won't won't give in the devil doesn't back down. And that's something we need to remember. He's got his eyes set on us. You might be saying, Pastor, it's such a negative message. But my friend, if I was a doctor and you had a dread disease and I just decided not to tell you, that would be wrong. And the fact is, all of us have a, uh, have a need to hear this this morning, that we have a war that we need to get, evol- get into, get engaged in. God, God says, get prepared. I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the armor. But you've got to engage 
in the battle. My friend, your children, your children need us all. We need to be engaged. We need to do all that we can as long as we can. I love what Pastor Wilkerson down in Hammond says, punching holes in the darkness. Oh, there's darkness. Oh, there's evil. Oh, there's all these things around us. But that doesn't mean that we stay home and we disengage. That doesn't mean that we say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. Uh, We have this fatalistic attitude. No, God's message to us is conquer and go forth, always going forward in victory. My friend, we should just stand and sing victory in Jesus this morning. Amen? We should just think and remember and dwell on the fact that Jesus is the victor and we have victory in him. Amen? Let's stand, if you would, to our feet and let's just pray this morning. I want you, if you would, to come and pray with me that God would would have first place in our life. That's the first thing. He says, have no other gods before me. Put him first. But then as we put God first and as we grow in our spiritual walk, we need to say, God, help me now. Help me now to dethrone Satan. Help me to get rid of the strongholds in my life. All of those things that Satan has put a foot in. He's got a foothold in this area. He's taken some ground over here. You need to say, God, help me. Help me to get victory in this in this besetting sin, whatever it is. Oh, don't take the defeatist attitude so many Christians take. Oh, don't take the, the I'm giving up, I'm going to quit, I'm just going to live my life and enjoy my life. Oh, my friend, there is more for you in store. God has more for you to do than you probably realize. And you won't see it if you don't get victory today. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this this morning. Thank you that there's victory in Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There is strength in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that you'd help us to not give up, not believe the lies, not listen when the tempter comes and says, oh, you've already lost. Oh, there's no devil. Oh, There's no need to fight. Oh, there's no need to continue. Father, help us to realize that we have to engage. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We cannot cannot get out of the fight. We're in it. We can't quit. Help us, Lord. There's so many families here, Father, that that, uh, you love them. You love the mom. You love the dad. You love the children. But there's going to be, as tough as things are in 2022, Lord, if Jesus doesn't come back, it's going, to get, it's, it's going to get more difficult. God, help us to prepare today so that we're not looking back someday, saying, I, I, I gave up too much ground. I allowed this to happen. I was, I, I was permissive in this way, here in this place. It, I allowed my children to do things I, I should not have let them do. Lord, help us. Help us to to have the wisdom of the years to know that there are things that we need to do today so that we don't have defeat in the future. God, comfort us this morning. Thank Thank you for your son. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Help us.